Speaking of anthropology, my name is Dylan. And my name is Kevin. Welcome back to another Saturday show uh, where we're here to chit and chat, talk and dream and wonder and uh, again, reflect on the world of anthropology as it is. How's that sound, Dylan? That's quite a nebulous docket you have for us. Uh, but I am curious, you know, before we get into the um, complex, wonderful world of anthropology, uh, how are you doing today? How are things in Fairbanks? Yes. Yeah, uh, on this wonderful January day. On a January day, yeah. It's, uh, you know, it's for all those local Fairbanksians, uh, you know, if you're out there today, it's a little chilly, but not too chilly. I would say around like negative one, maybe negative two. Um, it's getting a little colder. I think it's been a bit warm recently, um, but uh, quite well. I'm, I'm doing quite well with the school year kicking off. It's definitely been hectic, um, and Dylan may know. Um, I may sound stressed today because I truly am a little bit stressed. <laughs> um, but, you know, with all with all means, it's, it's great. Um, things are going well. Um, you know, schooling is definitely, uh, I think, at this point in the second semester, something where it's a commonality where we're used to it now. I feel, um, I know what's going on, you know, kind of just roll with the punches and just keep moving forward with it. So, um, you know, to all of my fellow classmates, colleagues, and to all the students out there listening to our show right now, or just tuning in to KSUA, uh, good luck. You got this. Um, it's week two, moving on week three, uh, <laughs> turn in your assignments, turn in those blackboard assignments and get things done and Hey, life will be good. How about you, Dylan? How are things going in Washington? Oh, they're going well. It frosted hard enough that it tricked my weather app into thinking it was going to start snowing in the next few days. And so I was briefly excited for that until I realized that's not going to happen. And it's not. Uh, now it's, you know, the upcoming seven-day forecast is just rain. But, you know, I can dream. I can dream of snow, which I'm sure sounds, you know, amusing maybe to all of uh, our listeners in Alaska. But, uh, you know, I really did realize how much I, I missed the snow um, moving out. So, yeah, but beyond that, you know, I uh, just enjoying things, you know, uh, had time to uh, to watch the wonderful uh, documentary that will be the subject of today's discussion here on Speaking of Anthropology. Uh, so, yeah, you know, looking forward to diving into that a little bit. Another another one of our uh, reviews. Now, it's the s- second time we've done it, so now it's officially a thing. Although I will say, I'll preface this one by saying that ideally the next time we do this, we will give warning before we do it. So if folks want to listen to it before we talk about it, they are able to. Exactly. Uh, or they could listen to our show today and then go ahead and watch it anytime <laughs> in reflection. Yeah, you know. Either way works. Um whatever people want to do exactly uh you know i think it's kind of interesting at least and maybe give a little preface to our listeners to um the reason why we're hosting these uh documentary film reviews ethnography reviews is kind of give us an opportunity as anthropologists um you know you know and to those prospective students out there who are listening this is a great opportunity for you to kind of get into the mindset of how you can analyze perceive, understand, and, and kind of um, knowledgeably, <laughs> you know, join a discussion and conversation about, you know, uh, ethnography piece that you may watch in a course. Um, so, that, you know, a little bit about today's piece. And before we even say the title of the name, the piece, this piece, at least from my recollection, for, for both Dylan and I, we watched it in a course, um, you know, and together we both in the class explored it, wrote papers on it cited it and described it and it, it's very um close to home in many ways i think and also close to the show um you know and we'll, we'll speak on that soon too but you know that that aspect of um you know i think watching a film you know when we i don't know maybe this is something i would probably want to ask you now and since we're chatting about it might as well dylan you know like what's the difference between watching a movie where you can critique it versus watching an ethnographic piece and learning for something from it i feel like there is a different attitude when I watch like something, an ethnographic piece or a documentary. My attitude is more of like, okay, you know what? I'm going to take this with every grain of salt. And then, you know, whereas I'm watching a movie, I'm kind of just like letting it. It's like kind of like going through my ear and going out the other, you know, <laughs> it's kind of just flowing through. 
Yeah, it, it, there are differences, right? Because, you know, I mean, you can certainly uh, critique both ethnographic films, documentaries, and, um, you know, tradition, more traditional um, fictive films, you know, fictional narratives uh, from, you know, similar perspectives in terms of like filmmaking and stuff, right? You know, you can, um, you know, look at how intelligible it is, what the filmmakers are trying to communicate and that sort of thing for each. But there also obviously are, are major differences, right? You know, the you can't really critique like the script writing in a documentary, you know? So <laughs> like, that's not really a thing, right? And then, you know, in ethnographic films, right? and they're supposed to be educational. And so you can kind of look at it from the perspective of, well, you know, what is the accuracy of what they're conveying? Through what lens are they conveying these um, pieces of information, right? But then you've, you've, that's a similar criticism to, to what you would do with a lot of, you know, just uh, academically oriented or uh, historically scientifically oriented works, right? You know, when you're reading a book about the history of something or an ethnographic account of something, you're also looking at through what lens is it being interpreted, right? And what are the, what is being brought to the table by the researcher, ethnographer, author, right? And so that sort of engagement with it is what you or at least what I would bring to the table, bring to it um, in working with ethnographic documentaries and documentaries, right? Uh, which isn't really, you know, it, it is different, right? Than like, you know, if you're reviewing like uh, the latest James Bond film, right? You're not like, well, you can look at it as a cultural artifact, but it's it's not quite like what it, what necessarily are is being tried is the director trying to convey about the truthfulness of these situations, right? Because they're not truthful, they're fictional. So yeah, no, it definitely, definitely some differences uh, for sure. But yeah, so the documentary for today uh, that Kevin and I landed on is uh, The Drums of Winter. Uh, and this is probably one that is familiar to at least some of our listeners, right? It is a fairly well-known one, and it is, uh, I believe, one of the, if not the first um, ethnographic film that uh, Len Kammerling worked on. So Len Kammerling, who is the uh, curator of film at the University of Alaska Museum of the North and who has done extensive uh, ethnographic film projects in the north and all over and who was a guest on the show last year this is one of his films uh it, obviously in collaboration with others right uh, alongside uh sarah elder but yeah it is it is a a look at yupik drumming in a rural alaskan village as it was in i believe the movie came out in the late 80s but the filming was done in, yep yeah. in, the, in 1977 77 yeah see you've got it all at hand kevin yeah <laughs> so uh, i'm curious what uh your first thoughts are on it yeah um so yeah actually also to just you know bring in and recognize i think the film's name um is the the drums of winter but also you know the the uh, yupik name is uh uksum kayoi uh you know and uh it's it's kind of interesting the location where it's filmed. Um, you know, if you've seen the film Drums of Winter, you can understand you know the ethnographic sense that it is. Um, and I'm sure Dylan Dylan you'll speak on this later too. Um, there are plenty of scenes. Um, you know, and it's a very anthropological, societal documentary, educational documentary that kind of um, teaches us both. You know, very simple. And, and, and very, you know, sharp and, and on point techniques of interviewing folks and filming, you know, cultural practices such as drumming uh, or dancing. Um, and then also, you know, the, the society and the, the local village. Um, so geographically, this, uh, this film was uh, filmed in 
Imanak, Alaska. Uh, hopefully I said that correct. Imanak, Alaska. Um, a very interesting location. It's uh, a remote village at the mouth of the Yukon River uh, of the Bering Sea on the coast. Um, it's kind of an interesting location too because I think it's one of the last uh, permanent settlements along the Yukon before hitting the Bering Sea, which is which is very, very remote um, for those who can imagine um, on the far coast, on the far uh, west coast uh, of Alaska. Um, and what's interesting is in the film you see a lot of... Uh, you know, the people and the interactions that they have. Um, and specifically, uh, the film kind of focuses on this, like, um, in a way, an, an intimate look, because, you know, you're seeing Leonard Kemmerling, you're seeing um, the filmmakers, Sarah Elder, and different ethnographers there, um, you know, like very close, up and close with, you know, the local, um, you know, Yupik people. Um, you know, and their, you know, understanding of their spiritual and social life and the ways in which they are living and interacting. Um, it's quite unique, I think, um, of a film. Um, both Dylan and I had watched it earlier in a, in a different course. Um, we, we, we were still a little hesitant on which course it was because, you know, we've definitely experienced a lot of this. Um, but, you know, it's, it's quite an interesting film. I think, um, it brings together a lot. Uh, I, I, you know, maybe there are a few parts of it that I can we can start to highlight, Dylan, you and I, um, at least from what my my perspective, you know, there was, of course, the drumming, the dancing, um, you know, the the potlatch ceremonies that they have of gift giving. Right. Um, you know, then down to the uh, traditions of of, you know, of creating and building the fire, you know, of of distributing food and how they distribute food um, or whatever gifts that they're providing. Um, and then also what I think what was a unique aspect was um, in particular, I think when, you know, uh, you know, the filmmakers, uh, Leonard Kammerling and, and Sarah Elder added, you know, components of um, voice archives of, of, you know, or written or oral history of, you know, uh, you know, I think there were uh, some, some uh, Christian Catholic church, you know, members in the local village um, and describing you know, what they saw from their kind of colonial perspective, um, which I think gave it perspective in many ways too. Um, very interesting film. Um, per- personally, the, a lot of things that jumped out to me was, you know, my initial questions was, yes, it is Drums of Winter, uh, the title, um, but how and what, in what ways is the dance created and how do people create songs um, in many ways? Um, and those are the big questions that were answered in the film. Um, so I encourage those who are interested to check it out. But um, that's kind of my highlight, at least, uh, Dylan. And I'm trying to summarize the film in many ways. But um, maybe we can start with, you know, what maybe one point of the film that you thought was really unique or interesting or if you have any cool historical facts of it, too. Uh, cool historical facts. Not currently, but maybe, uh, you know, we'll see. But, I mean, I will say on the history thing, though, I also did find interesting right the uh reading of the written accounts from various missionaries over uh a fairly long time span right the earliest was from uh a russian i'm not sure if it was a russian explorer or missionary or some type of colonial american uh government official but a russian writing about these practices from the 1840s right and then successively, uh, you know, American missionaries and stuff, right, from both Protestant and Catholic denominations. Uh, mention was made of a Moravian church mission uh, in the Delta and stuff. So the disc, you know, the these accounts by missionaries, and boy, are they difficult to listen to, you know, because a lot of it, you know, these personal writings of missionaries or letters to other people. One was a letter appealing to, um, I believe, a some type of uh, school official to try and get the school official to ban one of the festivals that the uh, Yupik would hold for the dead and stuff, right? Claiming that it was a threat to... to their public health and and you know all these sorts of things right and so it you know very uh unpleasant to listen to uh, important but also you know, you know these are not 
flattering words that are being written, right? These are very much missionaries who are in, as you said, that colonial mindset, right? Who are critiquing these these customs in in i mean not even really critiquing them they're just denigrating them right you know in in from this place of of uh eurocentric superiority so that bit was both interesting and definitely a little frustrating to listen to right but yeah it it is i don't know it's such a hard one to try and summarize right because you know it is the premise is straightforward right and that it is a documentary about you know yupik dance in yamanak right but you know as you said beyond that right they're interviewing folks about all kinds of things you know and uh the explanation of the way that the potlatch resources are distributed right traditionally it was um for two folks who couldn't necessarily care for themselves independently and to uh, young children and stuff right and so it was a way of supporting in you know everybody in in the group right uh so you have explanations on that and then as you said you get to see like the uh how they were organizing the distribution right um and the cash scheme right and like all sorts of uh all sorts of things as well alongside of course videos of the dance the dances and the singing and stuff but one of the things that i found really interesting was is that they open with video of the um practicing of these dances right and i obviously have not watched every documentary in the world uh, every you know documentary about cultures in the world but i feel like a lot of them don't include the practice bit, right? A lot of them are like, this is the, you know, this is the performance, the dance, the ritual, whatever. But, you know, I honestly don't remember the last documentary I watched where they were like, this is what the practicing of the dancing looks like, right? And that was really uh, interesting, I think, to to show, right? And to convey because, you know, it is it is something that they enjoy. And later on in interviews, uh, you know, with folks, uh, one individual says that, you know, that the, that the practice dancing in and itself, right. Is, is as enjoyable as the, uh, final performance piece, right. You know, because they practice for several days or, you know, a period of time leading up to, actually performing at one of the potlatches or one of the ceremonies right but it's it's practice right but it is still an enjoyable thing for for uh the community and for the participants right and so getting to see that i found uh incredibly interesting and also just from a filmmaking perspective a uh interesting way of opening the documentary i don't know if you have any thoughts about that or if i said anything that you want to yeah, no, of course. Um, I think something something that uh, you know stuck in my mind as well is it's just the initial. It's very you know as I mentioned earlier, it's a very intimate like film, uh, an ethnography piece that that brings you up and close and personal with you know <clears throat> the Yupik uh, uh village you know members, um, and you see you know, from how they prepare, you know, the drum, right? You know, the very first scene, I think I remember it was they literally are trying to make a drum or trim it down to what it is in perfection and adding water um, onto it and um, preparing the stick and having all your members beside you and, you know, of the village, you know, kind of uh, both uh, judgingly looking at you, but at the same time, uh, encouraging you uh, to get it done so that they can start performing and practicing and um, in that, you know, it, it's kind of interesting. Yeah, I do. I do notice that in the, in the start, it seems like it's a practice run, but I, I won't lie to you. I I almost thought it was perfect. <laughs> you know, I, it's, it's, it was better than practice. It was it was the performance, um, and I think that's what makes the beauty of it. Um, you know, you see throughout the scene, the film, uh, various scenes where you know you have. Um, you know, both uh, children, um, men, women, 
um, you know, practicing and, and learning and participating. Um, and from a, from a film perspective, I thought it was really unique and fun. Uh, you know, uh, the, the, whoever was filming at least, uh, would catch different angles or different, uh, moments where they could see, for example, uh, when they were doing the performance or the, the celebration, right. Um, a, ch- a child was in the background practicing the motions with their hands. Um, you know, a mother was practicing their motions with their hands. An elderly uh, woman was also uh, practicing with their hands. And, you know, it, it, it's something unique. I think um, it, it kind of made me jealous. I felt like I want to be there. You know, I'm excited. I want to learn how to do it um, because, it, it, you know, it's kind of um, it, it's such a community feel, feeling, I think, a bond. Um, you know, I, I do reflect a little bit on some of the conversations I've recently had with some faculty and some colleagues. And, you know, we do live in this this world today where we can still chat, but um, that, that feeling of sitting together in a room and, and, and performing and singing and discussing, I think that's something that, you know, I, I look at it with envy um, personally. Uh, you know, and I don't know how you feel about that, Dylan, but, you know, it, it, it's that, that community making sense um the community building um sense it, it just ties it all together um uh, and through singing um you know I, I kind of then started to reflect on my personal experiences with what sort of community aspects can have we experienced right you know here at UAF um we there's a community of students um you know the communities that we're in on social media that's a community you can call that um <clears throat> you know maybe you know uh, the community fairbanks Right. Um, but I, I also at the same time wonder what sort of communities allow us to then sing and perform as well as we should. Um, I think of some some translatable, I guess, into, you know, UAF concepts of communities would be like sports. Attending a sporting event could be a community sort of event um, that's translatable. Um, but it definitely, you know, we all chant and sing, you know, UAF go nooks and stuff like that. Um, but you know, the feeling is, it's not, you know, I, I don't know, maybe, uh, it's not as intimate, you know, maybe we're, <laughs> it's a different sort of experience. Um, and anthropologically, of course we can see it as, you know, a similar experience of sorts, but, um, you know, I, and so that, I don't know, I just started considering and wondering as I was watching the film, what sort of experience of community building I've experienced, um, like that. So of course the sporting events, I mean, the other one was, I guess, for me was, you know, the Chinese New Year event that was hosted in my local city every year by um, by some locals and, well, my family, actually. Um, we'd host this local recreation, a Parks and Recreation event um, where, you know, folks can come out and uh, set up a booth and arts and crafts, you know, promotions. Um, you know, we'd have local um, karate dojos uh, come in, you know, with their perf- performances Um you know, we have line dancing, we'd have the local Chinese school, Japanese school, you know, just different programs come in and just sing some songs. Um, so I think there is a similarity to it. Um, and, uh, you know, we've spoken a lot on this show also about holidays. So I, I don't know if Dylan, I'm, I'm throwing a lot of ideas out here right now, Dylan, um, cut me off whenever, but you know, the ideas of also holidays, that's also a community celebration, right? And so bringing people together, um, so, you know, I, I don't know, maybe there, maybe I can, we can kind of work on this idea a little bit more. Um, but like the idea of community building, and I'm curious what you maybe have reflected on since I've started speaking um, of what community is to you um, and what maybe similarities uh, to that of, you know, the Imunak Village uh, performances. Boy, that's a weighty topic, isn't it? What community is. Uh, But, I mean, certainly with regards to the holiday thing, right, even in the documentary, one of the uh, Yupik individuals interviewed, he is uh, he's comparing, right, because he's talking about a time when he was uh, arguing maybe with a uh, local with a Christian pastor in, in the area who, you know, about why. Uh, the Christian missionaries didn't care for like the potlatches and stuff, right? Because one of the criticisms was that the uh, giving 
uh, uh, you know, of, of food and of cloth and of everything was, was excessive, right? And was damaging to the community. And so, you know, the, this guy, he says that, um, he asked the pastor, right? Well, like, you know, y- you guys do the same thing at like Thanksgiving and at Christmas, right? So like, what's, you know, why are our potlatches uh, bad, right? But Thanksgiving and Christmas where you guys are giving gifts and eating and, you know, congregating like that, why why is that fine then, right? And so definitely like the, the holiday comparison is not, you know, it's not super removed, right? Like folks in the documentary are also making those comparisons. Of course, there's also like the the other side of it, right? Which is that there's the uh, competitive aspect to it as well. You know, one of the, uh, at, towards the end, right? One of the major things in the documentary is the fact that the, uh, you know, they're engaging in the potlatching with a nearby community of, uh, right and so you know the the these events is not just you know exclusive to to one village right but also events that are incorporating um, multiple communities right in that region together and you know engaging in these in the potlatching and then in the gift exchange and the dancing and the drumming and the singing right is is binding you know multiple communities together right in this in these uh cultural networks and so you know that's that's another important aspect to it right uh of of its extension beyond a singular locale right and the movement between these various uh points even though you know the the two villages aren't, you know, like super geographically disparate, right? They're, they're in the, you know, a similar region, but you know, still this is, this is the extension of these, these uh, practices. Uh, They're not confined to only being an inter-community event. Right. And so I think that that is also worth, you know, um, understanding and bearing in mind, right. When you're looking at, at these sorts of things. But yeah, you know, I, gatherings and, and community, right? And what that means, you know, it's, I think I'll say that one of the differences as well might be that a lot of events or gatherings, you know, that take place in a town aren't necessarily like the totality of that town, right? You know, Yamanak, right, has, what, 700 people in it, I think, um, about that, 750, uh, you know, Fairbanks has, like, 30,000, right, and so, you know, even, even, like, UAF, right, like, people participate in the, in, um, you know, in events and, and games and stuff, right, but I think that there's probably going to be a bit of a difference in the percentage of participation as compared with percentage of the total population right you know i think proportionally this you know you get differences in in how many folks out of the total uaf community because i don't i doubt you know that like 80 percent of people uh, who attend uaf are showing up to every nanox game or whatever right versus i don't know off the top of my head what the percentage is for folks from these villages who are going to the dance events but I, I do wonder if there's also a difference in that level of participation as well, because these are, you know, smaller communities. So on that, you know, on that topic, I don't know. I don't think I answered any of what you're broaching per se, but, you know, I think the considerations worth bearing in mind. No, and uh, totally. I mean, um, yeah, you know, you, you bring up, you know, the size of the community and the, the scale of what they're doing. Um, you know, I, I maybe sometimes I worry it sometimes with a community as large as Fairbanks. Um, you know, you have uh, so much rich history and things going on. It's hard to archive every single thing um, and make sure you have everything, you know, transcribed, detailed so people have access to it. And nonetheless, those who are interested in looking at the past and the history of, of what's going on, um, you know, but I, I think, you know, it, you you bring up a good point. Um, I mean, personally, I've experienced, um, you know, some 
some of these performances as well here at here at UAF with the uh, Festival of Native Arts, right? Uh, that's occurring every year. I mean, there's some wonderful performances. But you know, I think it's it's it might be nice if you know why don't why don't we why don't we enjoy some some you know uh, some some of these performances. Um, we're bringing to you live here on KSUA 91.5 FM Fairbanks uh, a performance uh, from the First Alaska Alaskans Institute, uh, the Yupik Rainbow Dancers from the Yupik Group of Anchorage performing Chinan, a night of cultural celebration at the 2018 First Alaskans Institute Elders and Youth Conference. A fantastic piece. Uh, thanks, Dylan, for sharing that and finding that. Um, you know, there's a lot and a great deal of, of content out there that, uh, folks, if you're interested, feel free to check it out. Um, you know, we when we came across this film, this documentary, we thought, you know, there's, I think, being and living in Alaska long enough, you you um, you know, you get a chance to interact with you know, indigenous Alaskans um, from all across Alaska, um, being at UAF. You know, that's that's the really cool part. Um, you know, friends from Utiagavik, you know, you have friends from Southeast Alaska, from the Clinket and Haida region. And um, that's at least for me, I can mention a few. Um, and, you know, you, you, you whether it's playing basketball with them at the local student recreation center, uh, you know, having them in one of your courses and, uh, you know, arguing about the newest uh, video game that just got released, uh, you know, and then talking a little bit about, you know, their culture at home from, you know, whale hunting to, uh, you know, subsistence living. And of course, as a, as a Californian uh, being laughed at for not understanding that you can walk on snow without slipping, you know, uh, <laughs> the small things. But it's uh, definitely a, a new experience. And I think something that, you know, I think anywhere I've gone and anywhere you've lived, you know, it's always nice to learn about the cultures and the people that have lived there. Uh, and, and you know, pay respects and of and of understand that you know how they've lived and hey, they've always got stories to tell. So, um, what do you think of that that piece uh, from from the uh, You Pick Rainbow Dancers? I enjoyed it. I always enjoy uh, the uh, You Pick dancing and the drumming. It's I will say as I said to you before, uh, right before we began the show, right? It definitely is something that you get the most out of by being able to watch it right because you know you can listen to the drumming and the singing and stuff right and that definitely is a vital component of it but so is the dancing right and you know it's also just incredibly impressive to watch the dancing right both you know in this in the um clip that we played and then in the documentary right like you you watch it and it you know it a lot of it does look very physically demanding right especially you know uh, one of the uh folks in the documentary mentions right that oftentimes so dancers will get competitive with each other right and try to outdance each other right and so you, you, when the when these um when they when they're dancing right it's it's, it's total body movement and you know just constant uh workout really it seems to me you know and i it it really just is is very impressive to me uh you know to be able to to perform like that right and i will say too that that was one of the other interesting things that the documentary showed into what you're talking about with its intimacy right of when you're watching it you can look at the facial expressions of various folks right and you can see how you know some folks right they're at the practice you know they're doing it but they seem maybe a little tired or something you know and then folks some folks are super into it and then like at one of the performances you know they're actually at a couple but one of them you know the uh like a good part of part of the scene is focused on on this young girl who's doing it it's her first time dancing right and you know how shy and nervous she is right and you see that a couple of the times with some of the in the videos with some of the younger kids right who you can tell they're a little hesitant a little unsure right and then uh because of the time span from when the film was recorded to when the documentary was released uh you know they're able to 
talk to folks right uh, a couple years after it seemed like and stuff about uh how things went right and so that was another interesting side from the filmmaking thing but yeah being able to just to to see both the skill that goes into the dancing the singing the drumming as well as you know how folks how each of the individual performers is feeling about you know just enjoying it or you know how they're how they're feeling during the practices and stuff right it was a very interesting and as you've said right it's it, it makes it feel like a somewhat more intimate film right in that respect so yeah in, in intimate in many ways yeah um you know i'd like to bring up another interesting point um that was brought to my attention um uh by one of our listeners uh and uh you know it it's kind of interesting, you know, when you think about the the filming of the location, right? You have Imunak, the village, right? Um, and the village itself has, you know, the structures, like the housing. And so we're, we go into their, the, you know, the villagers' houses, the people, the performers' houses, um, you know, and then, you know, we're seeing some of the, you know, there's, there's, there's this one scene that I remember vividly. I think it was uh, an elderly uh, man, a grandpa, holding a child and he was practicing his, uh, his singing. Um, and, uh, the film, the filmers, uh, essentially, uh, you know, are focused on him and then, you know, uh, you know, in his, what he's doing and the child and moving and performing and singing. And then, you know, you pan to a shot of, um, you know, little kids running around the house, you know, uh, snacking on stuff uh, and then there's a, a, a television set there and then they set up like um, a makeshift basketball hoop and there's a ball bouncing around and all the while in the background you can hear continually the cadence and the rhythm and the song performing and it, it's it's so I don't know for me it's, it was so nice to just see that because it was it felt like you know just like a, a regular day and it really is um, but there's something beautiful about it, how soulful, how uh, spiritual, um, you know, the practices, uh, you know, and so one of the locations that they constantly, you know, do the community celebration performances um, is in, is kind of in this, uh, in this structure, um, which I, I hope I, I say, I speak of it correctly. Um, in, in Yupik, it's a, uh, it's a Kasagi or Kasig. Um, in Inupiaq, it's a Kagi. And then, um, by the Chupik, it's uh, Kayakik. And then, you know, uh, there's other ways to explain it. But it's kind of um, a traditional large uh, semi-subterranean um, community house, uh, generally for men at the start, right? So they, you know, I don't know if you remember that scene, Dylan, but they essentially, they build the fire and they come into steam, right? And to relax and enjoy. So it's kind of a, a men's steam house at the start. But then it kind of becomes a communal space for them to perform, Um What's interesting about this subterranean base is, um, you know, for those who are interested, definitely check it out. Um, uh, the English, I guess, definition of it would be kind of like, um, uh, as some have mentioned, like a like a, some sort of like a communal Kashim house or something like that. Um, but what's interesting is it's a there's a doorway and an entrance, right? And then they build the fire within. I mean, it's covered, um, but then there's one smoke vent at the top. Uh, to let out the steam and the air, um, but you know the space that they use um, in the film is seen very clearly. It's not a, s- a super large space, but big enough to fit everyone. I think um, who who's willing to attend, um, and it, it makes it really, really unique and interesting. I think uh, um, in terms of the space, um, I think of there's definitely different iterations of these, um, you know, houses, the communal houses. Um, and, and, you know, from I can think of in the Clinkin and Haida, Southeast Alaska region, you know, you have, you know, communal houses that have totem poles on the outside um, or, you know, they're kind of ceremonial. And, for example, you have to go in in a certain direction and exit on a certain direction. Right. Um, or else it's kind of a bad omen or a bad, you know, bad practice. Right. Um, you know, and I think of, you know, communal houses uh one communal house that I think I would interpret that I'm sitting in right now, currently here at UAF is the Wood Center. I mean, people come in and go and eat and leave and it's a shared space, um, you know. And so, you know, when I think about that you know, and then the way they filmed it, it was just, it's unique. It's really it's magnificent, um, the ways in which they're using that space. Um, 
you know, the way they bring in uh, water, right? And then, you know, spray it around, um, you know, the way they built the fire too. Um, that technique, maybe I haven't built enough fires, I guess, maybe uh, here in Alaska, but, you know, the technique of crisscrossing um, the wood, right? And so that it's constantly burning and building and burning and building. Um, really unique to me, at least. Really cool. Uh, I don't know, Dylan, maybe he's laughing on the side because Dylan's lived in a, in a cabin here on camp near campus before. Um, and so this is probably nothing big, but, um, you know, that, that it, it really struck me. I think, uh, the structure itself too. Um, there's, I, you know, one, one quick, one more quick note. There's a scene I remember also, um, I think, uh, one of the elders was speaking about, um, how they live their daily life, right. And their social life. Um, so he goes up to, uh, another gentle gentleman, another elder, and, uh, you know, he's kind of calling him a sleepy head, essentially. I don't know if you remember that. Um, and they start to get into a funny argument about, hey, you're not doing enough for the village. You're not shipping the food around. You know, you're not doing enough. Come help me right now. Let's go. And um, it was just such a and they're speaking in uh, in Yupik. And, uh, I, you know, it, I felt like I could understand uh, what what that that emotion of uh, of living in, in Yumanak and in, you know, um, that's the intimate part of it that that really makes this film or this ethnography really one whole one whole piece that just you gotta watch if you're an anthropologist. That's all I'm gonna say. <laughs> yeah, the the Mikowski. Uh, yeah, it is an interesting communal structure, and it also you know they talk about it a little bit in the documentary, right? That's something else that ties into this history of missionization right because you know they were even by the time that the filming was going on for drums of winter right in uh, 77 you know most of them were gone from most of the villages right and uh you know they mentioned that after filming right um yemenax uh Kazgeek was also uh you know it was destroyed so that the new road could be built right so you know both an interesting um communal space right as well as sort of uh another example right of of the changes brought about um by missionization and by colonization and stuff right so but yeah i mean you know and comparing it to the you know the wood center right i will say too you know i mean maybe not now in the pandemic, but at least, you know, in the before times, you could even bathe at the Wood Center, right? If you needed to. So, yeah, you know, <laughs> it actually kind of works a little bit. Extremely uh, communal. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if you know that there's a new update here at UAF, and at least they're creating an eSports center downstairs. So it's going nice. to become even more of a communal space for folks. Um, Why couldn't they have had that when I was there? Yeah, uh, you know, I, and I, I had a, I had this interesting conversation. I, I, I don't know. I might as well jump in and let ask you. But I had a, a conversation with somebody about lamenting on the fact that the Java, the Arctic Java, was a place of shared conversation, of inspiration, of moments where maybe even this show was started. I don't know. I'm just spitballing here. But um, you know, a lot of cool ideas are created and. I miss that the most about, um, you know, what's going on here on campus and what's happening around the world. I, I'm, you know, that a, the ability to just stroll through the Java and see, you know, hey, Dylan's sitting right there. Oh, um, you know, a colleague from the anthropology department sitting there, faculty sitting right there. Why don't we all sit together, have some coffee and just chit chat? Um, that was that was the moment. But anyways, I'll ask the question that I asked my colleague and my friend. Um where, where do you remember where you sat in the Java most often, Dylan? Or if you did sit in the Java or it was upstairs, you know? Yeah, I mean, generally, I think we sat upstairs a lot, uh, you know, because we do breakfast or lunch or sometimes dinner, dine, right? But yeah, I mean, you know, uh, consistent placing, I think. Mm, now I'm trying to figure out how to describe it. Yeah, but I think I do remember, like, you know, we, we tended to sit and dine right uh sort of you know pretty close to to where you could go back in right to get more food and stuff right you know or near that wall and stuff we ate breakfast a lot there in the arctic java we usually kind of sat you know kind of in the middle right yeah uh but yeah you know I, I do yeah that that ability to just kind of congregate and to you know talk and i mean i remember funny of afternoons right where you know you and i would sit down and then like 
you'd have to leave but then someone else would show up right and so you you know just kind of like the revolving door right of coming and goings you know and getting to chat with all kinds of folks about all kinds of things right yeah so yeah you know it that sort of community space right is uh definitely incredibly valuable right and you you know you can see why in the documentary right it's how valued um the Kaskik was for for the Yupik right and for the continuation of these dances and performances you know and I think a lot of us folks right now we're, we're kind of you know with thanks to the pandemic right we've gained a newfound appreciation right for what we had and with that sort of stuff right now that it's no longer prudent or possible depending on regulations to uh you know to congregate like that anymore yeah but you know i think it also kind of ties in a little bit too not just with the kazgeek but also with the one of the towards the end of the film right they're talking about like what the future holds for you big dancing and stuff right and so that sort of wondering right about you know what's going to change or what what's going to be lost right you know um what's you know what fortune holds for for the future for different practices and stuff right you know because at the time they were concerned that the dancing would disappear again right because you know not enough young folks were learning it right and you know we can now you know sit here in 2021 and say well it it didn't disappear right you know thank goodness um that there is still traditional dancing going on to traditional dance groups and you know maybe you could even make the case that it, that it's become even you know healthier over the years uh at least since the 70s right you know since it prior to that it had been more bond again until it was revitalized um thanks to mission or it became more bond thanks to missionization and then was revitalized decades after right so you know the the kind of uh, ebbing and flowing right of the fortunes of of yupik dancing and of the ability for yupik folks and for indigenous folks in alaska to carry on you know these these cultural traditions that have you know shifted over the years right i think that you know it, the experiences are dissimilar but that that sort of wonderment right about what's going to change and what's going to stay the same about the future is obviously you know one that that uh resonates broadly but i also think in our particular moment right yeah yeah wow <laughs> that was that was a very interesting thought um you know I, I just bring up a little you know a little research on the side as well here just now um you know, so both uh len kamerling and sarah elder had um you know they produced this this film this documentary uh, but they had also produced actually a collection um you know films jointly with the various village councils um, so starting in 1974 with the Alaska Native Heritage Film Project, uh, they pioneered this, uh, this sort of community-based uh, approach to cultural films. Um, and so they, they worked through several of them, uh, you know, one of them being The Drums of Winter, uh, you know, but there's also like a, a few called, you know, one called At the Time of Whaling for the First People, uh, you know, Joe's Son on the Spring Ice, The Reindeer Thief, uh, and there's just a collection of them that if you're interested, uh, I encourage you guys to check them out. Uh, it's really cool, really cool perspective. Yeah, I believe when um, when I got a chance to sit down with uh, Len Kamerling last year, he had mentioned that it had been part of a broader project in the um, in the Delta, right, to go through and, and to make these ethnographic films. Uh, yeah, so, you know, maybe maybe, you know, gradually we'll start to move through the entirety of that catalog exactly just as a thought. uh but yeah it, it you know it's it's certainly an interesting um project right and for whatever reason you know drums of winter ended up being the one that uh it seems like really uh you know really caught a lot of attention right and to the point where you know now it's in like the library of congress's film registry and stuff so you know, it ended up becoming, I think, uh, well known in 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 its space. So, but yeah, you know, as you said, it is part of that larger larger project. And 
if you if folks want to learn more about that right you know you, you can go back and listen to that episode uh with len Camerling that uh we that I, I got a chance to do last year that episode number uh well the episode is available on our website right but the uh that is episode uh 16 ethnographic films of the north with len Camerling on uh speaking of slash speaking of if anybody's interested in going back and listening to that one. Yeah, well, um, I, I just final remarks, I guess. But, um, you know, as we near the end of the, today's show, uh, final, final thoughts. Um, instead of the what is anthropology question, but Mary, you know, how was the film? I, I, I think it was fantastic. I, you know, as I reflect back on it and think about it, um, I still hear the rhythm and the, the voices and the singing and dancing um you know i see the masks that they were and were not wearing um you know i see the various perspectives um but you know that that intimate feeling of being there with them was was something that i i really am happy that you know and appreciate so much uh, the great work that uh len Camerling and, and sarah elder and all the wonderful village uh, councils were able to support and create something like this um and, and bring that into fruition um, so thank you. I thank you guys. I thank everyone for, for creating something like this. And Hey, if you get the chance out there, keep doing it. That's all I say. Absolutely. Yeah, no. And yeah, it was, it, it's a enjoyable and informative, uh, documentary. And yeah, you know, I'm glad, I'm glad that we, uh, watched this one so far. I think we're, you know, two for two, right. On, uh, on picking really, uh, good pieces to watch you know and so yeah it uh it's just all around good and i i really that the one thing uh, to talk about things stuck in your head right the one thing that stuck in my head is as you described the intimate and i really think that that is such a, a good word for it right and so yeah the just the intimacy of it i think is what uh i'm gonna you know is what's gonna stick with me down the line so yeah so you've been listening to Speaking of Anthropology here on KSUA 91.5 FM Fairbanks. Dylan, thank you again for finding this film. And uh, hey, we'll be back here next week, uh, hopefully with a guest. Uh, so tune in uh, Saturday from 1 to 2 p.m. here on KSUA 91.5 FM Fairbanks. <laughs>